So it's been a great joy uh, for me this past year as we think and reflect on all the things God's given us this past year. One of the things I'm uh, particularly grateful for is uh, the Huddleston family uh, and, and getting to know Pastor Gary uh, Huddleston. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking of the things of the Lord, praying for this congregation. We have a lot of things in common. We share similar views on the scripture, ministry, philosophy, pastoral, theology. And although we have a tremendous amount in common, we have one huge difference. Besides me being a lot younger than Gary, um, he is a Los Angeles Dodger fan. And I am a Chicago Cub fan. Really, Gary and the whole entire Huddleston crew um, are Dodger fans. And this baseball season, the Chicago Cubs and the Los Angeles Dodgers faced off in the National League Championship Series to fight for a chance to be in the World Series. It truly was the first real test of our friendship. The Dodgers beat my precious Cubs, and after the series was over, Pastor Gary slowly made his way towards me, snuck up and said, we're still friends, right? Well, as we begin Revelation chapter 6, this is our first real test of our theological friendship. Uh, at the end of this series, I will look at many of you and, and will say, we're still friends, right? Chapter 6 through 16 of Revelation is the largest section of the body of this book. And uh, as we work through the next 10 chapters, I won't have time to teach every possible interpretation of the various texts, but I'm going to teach what I believe these texts are saying. Uh, I believe it is wise when we approach apocalyptic literature, as we're beginning to dive into in Revelation, that we hold our interpretation with conviction and yet with an open hand, uh, because there's so much things that we don't know. Pastors are generalists. Uh, we are the, the family, like the family doctors in the medical field. Uh, family doctors know a little about a lot of things. Uh, we can normally answer your questions, but sometimes we have to refer you to a specialist. Uh, eschatology is one of those specialty areas. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to answer many of your questions, but there's going to be times where I'm going to push you towards specialist. That means a good commentary that you're going to have to dive through uh, yourself. So as we begin to dive into the heart of this book, I think it's a good time to remember the promise at the beginning of this book. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So my prayer that whatever we study in the book of Revelation, that you would be blessed as you hear and as you keep the commandments of our Lord as they are written in this book. If you have a bulletin, you can follow along in, in the outline provided for you. The first point is the, the purification and the punishment of the seals. The purification and the punishment of the seals. So John shared that great vision of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of David, as the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. Only the Lord Jesus is worthy to open the seals. It was because his death and his resurrection that the, the scrolls are open, that the seals are able to be opened. The pivotal event in all of human history to this point was the crucifixion of the Son of God. 
So the world has always kind of divided history into two time periods. B.C., before Christ, or A.D., after the Lord, Adio Domino. Now, we've kind of changed that in our, our politically correct culture, but let's not mistake it that the, the world has divided time into two realms. Uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the beginning of the end of the age. We are in the last days. So I believe Revelation 6 is connected to Jesus' Mount... Someone help me. Thank you. Sometimes words escape my mouth in the wrong way. So in Matthew 24, right before Jesus died, he kind of shares the end of his history. The, the apostles say, give us signs for the end of the age. And he walks through things that are going to happen. Now, many people look around the world at what is happening today, and they say the end is near. And that's true. We just read that in Revelation 1.3, but it's not near in the way they mean it. The events described, I believe, in the first five seals have been happening since the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been pictures of what has happened over the last 2,000 years. One of the most important points in the discussion of these seals, as we'll look at this morning, is that they are all under the, the sovereign control of God himself. They are, they are sent from the throne. Only the Lamb has authority to open the seals. And only the Lamb has authority to, to send these four horsemen of the apocalypse throughout the earth. So if you have your Bibles, let us walk through this text this morning. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. The Lamb opened the seals and the, one of the four living creatures who served the Lamb said, Come. Now the movements of these horses being sent out are controlled from the throne. Now you remember as we work through all the, the seven letters for the churches, one of the key issues that, that was every church was dealing with was the imperial cultic worship. So in that day, if, if you were going to be a Christian, uh, you had to say, no, I'm not going to worship Caesar. I'm not going to worship Rome. But if you wanted to advance in society, you had to say, well, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll participate in these cultic practices. And again and again, we see in these letters that God is warning the church not to, to compromise in that way. Now, Rome was a mighty nation. It, was def it defeated pretty much every nation in battle except for one, the Parthians. The Parthians defeated the Roman army twice, in 55 B.C. and 62 A.D. And these Parthians were known for their famous cavalry that they could ride at full speed and shoot their bow and arrow with precision. The white horse here came with a rider and a bow. He came out conquering and to conquer. I think this is a, a picture to encourage the church that, that the, the Lord Jesus Christ will conquer this Roman Empire. The only other white horse in the book of Revelation, if we are going to interpret Scripture with Scripture, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Revelation 19.11, which reads, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes 
war. So after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, Jesus sends his spirit throughout the earth to conquer men's hearts with the gospel. Hear me, nothing can stop the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is connected, I believe, to that discourse in Matthew 24. The disciples were asked again, tell us the signs of the end of the age. And Matthew 24, verses 12 through 14 says this. It says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. At the end of every one of Jesus's uh, and every one of the gospels is this commission to go out to the, to the world to share this gospel. The gospel will be preached and believed by every tribe, language, and nation. Even when Paul was bound in prison as uh, one who testified to the gospel, he says, the word of God is not bound. Nothing can stop the gospel. Jesus warns his disciples that many, many in, in, in the day of the church, their love will grow cold, like the church in Ephesus. And if you remember, when we looked at the church in Ephesus, one of the ways their love grew cold was that they didn't share the gospel, right? Many of us say that we love the Lord, but yet we are silent when it comes to the opportunity to confess Christ. But listen, every time we share the gospel, there will be people who believe. Some will deny, but there will be people who believe. The power of the gospel can melt the hardest heart. Do we share the gospel believing that nothing can stop it? Or are we so timid to share, afraid of what one might think of us? Too many of us believe in the gospel to be more like a water pistol, attempting to distinguish a ferocious um, wildfire, not knowing it's more like a fire hose aimed at a candle. The gospel will succeed in its worth. Work. Nothing can stop it. So as persecutions and trials arise among the earth, we must remember that the gospel has conquered and is conquering the hearts of man. Those of you who are Christians today, your heart has been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and God made you alive in Christ. Only your will being conquered helps you come to the Lord. How many of us have been conquered by the gospel? What a beautiful picture. Even today we get to see a testimony of baptism to, to remind us that we have been conquered by Christ. We were heading headlong into sin before we were arrested, stopped, convicted by the truth of Christ. So have you, those who are here today, have you been conquered by Christ? Or maybe your love has grown cold. Well, how do you know, Pastor, if your love has grown cold? Simple question. When was the last time you shared Christ? When was the last time you shared Christ? If the answer is, it's been a while. Your love for Christ may have grown cold. Friend, we are all sinners and only saved by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus died to pay for our sins for all who would trust in Him. Allow Jesus and the beauty of his gospel to conquer your heart today and every day. Trust in him and live. So Jesus has inaugurated the last days. 
The last days will be filled with war and bloodshed and disease and death. Look at verse 3. It says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. This is a connection again to Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8. When Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And isn't that what the last 2,000 years have looked like? War and bloodshed have filled the earth. And the Lamb has allowed it. He has put human depravity on full display so that people could turn to God in hope. I mean, we know that war, as time has gone on, has become far more brutal. The development of gas in World War One, to the atomic bomb in World War Two, to even today, the daily drone, drone strikes, where no one really is safe. War is a part of our world. Today, many of our own United States soldiers know the daily pressure of war. Why many of us, many, many, the rest of us, often forget that there is a conflict still raging today. There is war everywhere. Every generation believes that their times are the most challenging. It's interesting when I, when I started telling people that I'm preaching Revelation, you know, pastors are going, "Are you crazy?" Is <laughs> their first response. But when I tell friends, I'm like, man, thank you. I can't wait because all these things that I, that I see happening today, something's got to be, be happening. All these things that we see out there. Well, listen, no matter what stage you are in history, you would probably say the same thing. If you saw what's happening in the, in the, in the, the Middle Ages, a Christian would say, the end is near. If you were in World War II, you would say, the end is near. Every generation believes that their times are the most challenging. But friend, wars will always be there until the end comes. All these are the beginning of birth pains, Jesus says. As a mother longs to see her new baby, war should create a longing in our hearts for the peace of the new heaven and the new earth. The only true peace we can experience now is through the, the, the blood-bought peace of the cross. God has made peace with his blood. Endless war is a byproduct of human depravity. We can endure war through the peace of the cross. And after war comes famine. Look at verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And as I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Now a denarius in that day was an average day's wage. So a worker would get one denarius for a day's labor. A quart of wheat was enough to feed one person for one day. So a man's entire wage could feed himself, but probably not his family. Uh, in our day, families are relatively small, three or four people. In that day, they were large families. So there was famine throughout the land. Now, there have been great famines throughout history. But even today, right now, many live in a daily famine-like environment. Almost half the world, hear me, almost half the world, three billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. 
Over 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. Now, as Westerners, we look for the day when famines, famines will come. We look, when will this, this famine be here? But many people today know famine now. Jesus said there will be famines at the end of the age. Friends, we are living in those days. Look at Revelation 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. That same fourfold language was, was kind of read to you from Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 21. Really the background of this entire prophecy is Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 6. There's so much imagery and allusions to Old Testament prophecy here. But this fourth horse came bringing death to one-fourth of the earth. Now some would say this is a, a more a figurative number, meaning a lot. And others would say it's, it's a, a pretty precise a quarter of the world. And it could be a real number. I mean, think about how many people have just died in the war. Over 30 million people died in World War II and the Mongol conquest. Over 15 million died in the Germanic Wars in World War I. Over 5 million died both in the Chinese and the Russian Civil Wars. The loss of life from war over the last 40 years has really gone down. And we can, we can celebrate that there has not as much, much been, um, there has not been as many deaths through war over the last 40 years. It's a pretty sharp decline. Now, people still die every day from war, but it is not nearly what it was 50 years ago. But that doesn't mean there's still not loss of life. Over the last 40 years, pretty much all the, 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 the loss of life in wars have been replaced by abortion. Since Roe v. Wade was passed, over 6 million children have been slaughtered through abortion. 1.4 billion deaths worldwide since 1980. There have been more deaths even through famine and disease. The bubonic plague or Black Death killed 30 to 60 percent of all Europe's population. Some would say that it, it cut the, the population of the earth 350 million, depending on who you, who, what you read. All I'm trying to get at is death is just part of the end of the age. We may think that our time is the worst in history, but there have been wars and famines and death throughout the age of the church. These numbers should create in our hearts a longing for Christ to come. When we see all these things that are happening again and again, we should have our hearts, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. It should also show us how desperate our world needs a Savior. So that our love will not go cold, but we would share this love of Christ. Now, we here are believers. And what does God use trials for in the life of a believer? But to purify our hearts. That he's bringing punishment upon the world by allowing uh, nature to run its course, allowing their desires to, 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 to give themselves over to them, their desires, and allow them to meet their, their consequences. But for the believer, he takes all the things that we're doing, in, all the things that we are experiencing in our day, to purify us, so we can become a better reflection of Christ. This is what the whole book of 1 Peter is about, about the testing of our faith, we can prove the genuineness of our, our faith. The Lord is on 
that move still. So as we, as we approach these seals, we should remind ourselves to hold fast to Christ. As we hold fast to Him, that we will be purified so our love does not grow cold and we can endure to the end. The second thing I want to point out in this next seal is the prayer and the preciousness of the saints. The prayer and the preciousness of the saints. I think it's important for us to think about endurance because the world hates the saints. The world does not like the Christian faith. Jesus told us that the world hates us because it first hated him. Again, in his uh, end time discourse in Matthew 24, when they, verse 24, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. It is no surprise here that when we come to the fifth seal and we, we hear of those who have been slain for holding true to Christ. Look at verse 9. God's word. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge all blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given, each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. And so the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The saints under the altar were crying out for justice. They wanted justice for their blood. God, will you avenge us? A few observations from this seal. First, martyrdom for the faith is a very real thing. Now, we have religious liberty in our country. So maybe a Christian being killed for our faith doesn't always seem real to us. Now, we've experienced tragedy like Charleston recently in Texas where people targeted Christians for their their faith. Now, when we hear of those events, they shake us to our core. And yet, Christians are martyred every day around the world. We should not be surprised that the world hates Christians, and we should not be surprised when the hate grows in to murder. There may be some of you here who will face death for your faith. Now, it could be when you go on a mission trip to a closed country. And you're confronted with the realities overseas. And sadly, it could be at the workplace for some deranged coworker who has it out for Christians. We don't know what will happen in our country. And even now, people are, are being bankrupted because of their faith. What will happen 50 to 100 years from now in our own country? I mean, Christians are being jailed for preaching the gospel in, in Canada. If we hold to our convictions, we will face trial, persecution, and possibly death. It will happen. There have been more Christians martyred in the 20th century than throughout all of history. But those numbers just sink in. The second observation here. It is a godly thing to cry out for justice. You know, the martyrs in Revelation are crying out for God to bring down His wrath upon the earth. 
When you read in Revelation where it says those who dwell on the earth, that's kind of a technical term for earth dwellers. Every time in Revelation it means non-believer. So the, 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 the martyrs here are, are crying out to God that they would bring justice, his wrath, down upon these non-believers. Avenge them for taking their, their blood. We'll find out here shortly that he does it very quickly in the sixth seal. When we see wrong in our world, we should long for justice. If there is no justice, this would be a cruel world indeed. God has promised to repay those who, who do evil. God does not say that he will not avenge them. He says what? Just wait. Rest a little longer. Gives them a, a white robe and, and says, in due time. Which is the third observation. God views his saints as precious. He gives martyrs a white robe, offering clothing to, to, to as, as an act of grace. You know, we have the, the, the warming shelter uh, at, over at uh, Park West, as we say. Uh, Fifteen men are going out there every week to get out of the cold. And, and what has happened is we want to clothe them. We want to give them blankets and, and, and jackets so that they're not cold. Why? Because that is an act of grace. It's the same way what the Lord does with us. If you are in Christ, he wants to, to wrap his robes around you. He wants to show you his preciousness. As I was reading this, I, I kind of got the picture of, of a father kind of going into his kid's room. As I often do with you know, my kids, and I go tuck them into bed and put the, the blanket on them. And you know, sometimes they, they have to get up. Do I have to wake up now? And you put that blanket on and say, no, sweetie, just a little while longer. You can rest. I think that's what I hear in the tenderness of our God here. Just, just rest a little while longer. Why? Why do they have to rest? Because more will be martyred. The full number of those who are, are going to die for the faith has not yet been completed. But when it has, the end will come. God is tenderly caring for his precious saints until the end has come. So I don't know what you're dealing with, with right now, but let me just make an application. Whatever you're dealing with, God wants to tenderly care for you in the midst of this trial. He wants to show you his love and his kindness. So don't run away from the Lord. Don't be angry with the Lord because these lost their lives and God is tenderly caring for them. The worst thing our world can do to you is take your life. And God says, even then I will care for you. Even then I will, I will love you. Well, lastly, let us close with the preview and the panic of the shaking. This shaking imagery is kind of a, an apocalyptic imagery when God will shake the heavens and the earth. We see that in Habakkuk. It says, and yet once more I will shake the heavens and the earth. And we see it again in Hebrews. That yet once more the Lord will shake the heavens and the earth. I believe the sixth seal is the end of all history. It's the beginning of that end. The language in the text is very common throughout the, the biblical literature. So when you read the, the minor prophets especially, you hear about the day of the Lord. Maybe Joel chapter 2, which we, many of you would be familiar with. The great earthquake is pretty consistent throughout Revelation as referring to the end of history. The language is apocalyptic, meaning it's, it's very symbolic. So the, the, the mountains and the, the islands hide themselves. Now we don't want to draw it out too literally, but we want to know that there is something dramatic that is happening here. So let's read the text. Revelation 6, verse 12. And he opened the sixth seal. I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. And the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit 
and shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. When the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand? This is just a preview. It's a preview of the end of history. God will come in his power. And the powerful, the rich, the generals, all those famous in our day, all kinds of great leaders will cower in fear. This is an answer to the prayers of the martyr in Seal 5. Everyone will hide from the wrath of the Lamb. In that day, they would prefer death rather than to face the wrath of him who is seated on the throne and the Lamb. You see how those two are connected? The one who is seated on the throne and the Lamb, whom they are both God. The Father and the Son are one. And on the great day of their wrath, who can stand? Can you stand in that day on your wealth? Can you stand on that day on your achievements? Can you stand on that day merely by your church attendance? Or your church membership? Can you stand based on your works? The answer is no. No one can stand against the wrath of the Lamb unless you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Remember, the worthy one who opens the scroll, who breaks the seal, who is sending this forth upon our world, is the one who was slain to give you hope. God has made a way for sinners through the cross. He invites all people to come. Have you come to Christ? Will you come to Christ? On the day of wrath, our only hope is to be with the Lamb. And when He comes, He will gather all people to Himself. Gather His people to Himself. They will be spared from the wrath of the Lamb only by the blood of the Lamb. And then will become agents of His wrath as they come to judge the earth. So the birth of Jesus, as we celebrate this season, the first coming of the Lamb, set in motion the end of history. Jesus began the end of the age. We are in the last days. Are we ready for the end? Remember, blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in this book, for the time is near. We all are one breath away from eternity. And when our day comes, or when the, when the day comes, will you be able to stand? Only if you're in the Lamb. He is our only hope today and on that day. He will rebirth a perfect world. So praise God today, if you are in Christ, you do not have to fear that day because the Lamb was worthy to be slain. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. If you are in the Lamb, your sin is done. But dear friend, if you are not in the Lamb, if your heart has not been conquered by Him, come to Him today. Do not linger. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So come to the Lamb so you can stand with the Lamb on the great 
an awesome day of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us stand on the day of your wrath through trusting in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his blood. We thank you that we have been conquered by him. God, help us be those who conquer until the end. And help us not let our love grow cold by continuing to share the glorious gospel that we believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.